Remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You may be seated. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. This is one of the pros and cons of teaching verse by verse through the Bible. We get to the last two weeks. Last week was on lust, and this week is on divorce. Two very sensitive topics in the church. Two topics that, for me, I'd like to just gloss over. And uh, I know that a lot of us in here have been affected by divorce. There's a statistic that says uh, eight out of ten people have been directly affected by divorce. I know myself in particular. My parents have both been divorced and married three times, so I've experienced a numerous amount of times. I know the sensitivity of this topic, and so my hope and prayer has been through this week uh, is that I would handle this text with great mercy and grace and compassion, and at the same time hold true to what the Word of God says. Um, And so my hope for you as you leave here this morning would be if you have been affected by divorce, that you'd leave here uh, with encouragement rather than discouragement, that you'd leave here this morning with hope rather than with despair. So often uh, Satan can come to us and we can read the Word of God and we can get up from reading the Word of God instead of what the very words of God are meant to do is to give us life and hope and freedom. Uh, Satan can use it to tear us into more and more a bondage and slavery. And so my hope is, and my prayer all week would be that when you leave here this morning, that you would first and foremost see what the Word of God says. The Word of God is, uh, has, He has very stringent rules of what it looks like to have a, be in a divorce, to get a divorce, but we have to take the whole of Scripture to come out of it to have great hope. There is great hope for us this morning. We'll celebrate that great hope uh, through baptism this morning. We have uh, Erica is coming to get baptized. That is our hope this morning, that there is a God who redeems all things and sets all things right, even in the midst of the chaos that we live in. We do have a risen Savior that brings order to the chaos. And so my hope for us this morning would, would to be simply that, is to teach God's Word with faithfulness. There's three things that we'll look at from this passage of Scripture. We'll also be, if you want to mark in your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 19. I think it's important that as we study this passage that you flip over to chapter 19. Uh, Jesus talks about divorce uh, and he goes into more commentary uh, from this passage. So I'll get there uh, near the end of the passage or end of the message. Uh, We'll start off in Matthew chapter 5 um, verses 31 and 32, but we will get to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, We'll look at three things this morning. We're going to look at what the law teaches on divorce. That's the the Old Testament. What did the Old Testament have to tell us about divorce? We're going to look at, we're going to begin to bridge the gap. We're going to look at what the Pharisees, you remember, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus comes in and says, hey, if you're going to be part of my kingdom, you need to live a certain way in my kingdom. And I come to give you hope and I come to give you freedom. And yet there's people that are teaching you, the scribes and the Pharisees, are teaching you a way that is counter to the way I'm teaching you. And so we're going to look at what the Pharisees and the scribes, how they were teaching divorce. 
And then most importantly, we're going to look at Jesus Himself. What did Jesus teach about divorce? And so this morning, the first thing we'll look at is in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 5. He says this, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And so we see, what did the law, what did God's Word, the law teach? This comes out of, remember, Jesus is walking us through on the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to walk us through uh, the Ten Commandments. And so here is one of the commandments, and he's going to go back to what he taught us last week in chapters uh, in commandment number 7 and number 10. He's going to now look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is what Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 through 4 says. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she fi- if he finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, let him write her a certificate of a divorce, put it in her hand and send her out of the house. And she departs from his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the lat- and departs out of his house, let, let the latter man who hates her write her a certificate of divorce and put, her, put it in her hand and send her out of the house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to become his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she had been defiled. For this is the abomination before the Lord. And you should not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God who has given you this inheritance. And so the law is teaching us, and this is what was going on in the, in, back in the day. In the day of Moses, divorce was becoming rampant. And divorce could happen for any reason. So Jesus is going to tell us in Matthew 19, this is the reason that Moses himself allowed divorce. Let me say that again. Moses is the, the one that said it was okay to divorce, not God himself, though God himself We see that in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 says God hates divorce. But God allows divorce, and He's going to tell us in Matthew 19, it's because of the hardness of the hearts of men that He allows things. He permits them, though they're not the best thing. He does permit certain things. And so in the day of Moses, divorce was becoming rampant. And so because of that, Moses decided we've got to take this chaos that's going out through all the land and bring some order, some structure to the chaos. Um, In that day, uh, and much of the same today, the view on women, the women's views, women's rights were basically obsolete. The men ruled and reigned over the woman. They had uh, no right. And so what Moses is saying here in Deuteronomy chapter 24 is if you divorce your wife and you send her on her way, she's got no right. She's got no way to protect herself. She's got no way to defend herself. And so Moses is saying here that this certificate of divorce is so this woman will have rights and she will have something that declares her righteous even though she's been in a divorce. Um, It's also said, and we'll get there, um, the Pharisees were beginning to teach uh, what was becoming rampant. It was becoming rampant in Jesus' times that you could divorce your wife for anything. Uh, if she cooked your meal wrong, you could divorce her. If she didn't wake up looking beautiful, you could divorce her. Um, I know he wasn't talking about southern women because they, could, they can all cook. So he, Moses was not talking about the southern bells. But he, they were saying, if your wife ruined your uh, cake, uh, and that's not like a sweet cake, the little like pancake they would eat, if they burnt one side of it, you could divorce her, just kick her out that day. And so what Moses is saying is, Hey, you can't just divorce your wife for anything. 
Because what was beginning to happen is the man would get mad because he'd have a burnt pancake, divorce her, and then the next day wake up and have no pancake and want to take her back. So what Moses was saying to the people is, hey, you can't just flippantly divorce people. And so the certificate of divorce was protect the unity of marriage. See, there's things that were going on, three things that we, you can see throughout um, the Old Testament that God was allowing to happen in order for protection, not in order of saying this is how it has to happen. This is not a command from God, but an allowance of God. Three things. It was to limit divorce to certain reasons. We'll see what Jesus talks about. There is a reason for divorce. Again, it's not the best thing, but God allows it to happen. The second thing, it was to protect the men, the women and the children from being tossed out of the house and having no one to care for them. Because God, we see throughout the Old Testament, God cares for the widow. God cares for the fatherless. God has a heart for, for those that are, have been abandoned. And the last one, and the most important one, it was to show the seriousness of divorce. I think even today in our culture, divorce is so flippant. You really can't get divorced for any reason. Your wife has bad breath. Get her some new toothpaste. But, but for real, when you look at society, divorce is happening all over the place. It's said even in Christian circles, even with believers, it's one out of, one out of two div- marriages are going to end in divorce. That's 50% of us. The stats say even in Christian marriages, it's just a slight higher than non-Christian marriages. Why? Because we don't see the importance of marriage. I'll get to that when Jesus taught. The next thing we see is where he, the, what, what were the Pharisees teaching? Remember, the Pharisees were taking the law of God and were justifying the law of God to justify their righteousness. That's what the Pharisees were doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Where they were taking all the, the 633 commands of the Old Testament and writing them in such a way that they could justify themselves to become righteous and holy. We saw that with lust. Remember, we, we will see that. We saw that with anger. We'll see that next week with um, making oaths, oaths to people. We'll see that in retaliation. That the Pharisees, the, the, who were the godly men of society, were taking God's word and distorting it in such a way to make themselves righteous and holy. And so they were teaching that it was no longer just a, a provision for divorce, but divorce was now a command from God. God was now commanding divorce. How come? So that they could justify their actions and it really comes out of what He just taught them in the previous verses about lust. Even the Pharisees were lusting after women and so they wanted the right to divorce their wife so that they could enter into another marriage so that they would not be declared unrighteous because of their lust. They were unwilling to deal with their lust so that they were going to justify themselves to get out of their marriage to get what they wanted. Uh, there's a slogan that says, we want what we want when we want it. That's what was going on with the Pharisees. And so they knew how to distort God's word just enough to make them look righteous in front of other people. They were unwilling to deal with their hearts, so they're just going to deal with their behaviors to justify themselves. There's two schools of thought that were happening. Two uh, prominent rabbis in the day um, were teaching two uh, polar opposite views on this passage. On There's one line of thought um, that was saying, hey, we have to be 
to the letter of the law. Everything that the law says, we must go right by the letter of the law. We must be very strict on the letter of the law. So he made divorce almost impossible. And we would think, man, that's the way to go. But what this man was doing was taking the spirit out of the law. And he was saying, just justify yourself through your actions. The other camp was saying, hey, get divorced for whatever you want. Just have a, just have a certificate of divorce. If you have a certificate of divorce, you're good to go. So we have these two polar opposite teachings that were prominent in the day of Jesus. And Jesus arrives on the scene and says, let me clean it all up and tell you what's really happening, what your heart really needs to seek after. And so we see Jesus begin to teach. And so he says in verse 32, he says, but I say to you, I love the boldness in those few words, but I say the very words of God as John tells us, but I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus goes into it a little bit more, a little bit deeper. I think this is so important for us to look at this passage of Scripture in light of Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9. And the Pharisees came up to him, Jesus, and tested him. You see, even again, several chapters later, the Pharisees were always looking for a way to trap Jesus in his own teachings. They were always looking for loopholes. They were always looking to catch Jesus. How come they hated Jesus? And they were always looking for ways to convince the people that he was a wicked man. And so they're always looking to trap him. How come to do what they ultimately did to him and to hang him on a cross. They hated him that much. They hated the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus was teaching in such a way that made the people dependent on God rather than dependent on the Pharisees. You see, in the day, the people were dependent on the Pharisees rather than dependent on God. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, 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 don't be dependent on man. We must be needy to a holy God. Which began to take power and reign away from the Pharisees. That would make them very, very angry. And so they are always looking for a way to regain power so that they could be in control and to have a name for themselves and take the honor and glory away from God. And so Jesus, again, over and over and over again, is going to point the people to their neediness to a holy God and not to man. So they come again to test him about divorce. And they say to him, Is it lawful to divorce uh, one's wife for any cause? You could just divorce them for any cause. Is that what, what, what do you say about that, Jesus? What are your teachings about that? And I love Jesus. Uh, he comes out the gates and just uh, turns them up on their heads. Look at the, what Jesus says. Have you not read? What Jesus is saying to them is simply this. Hey, I know you know the Word of God, but you don't know the Word of God. Have you not read? The, the Pharisees would have known the entire uh, Torah. They would have known the first fo- five books of the Old Testament backwards and forwards. It said that if you took the Torah, you wrapped it up, and you drove a nail from uh, the top of the Torah. If it's like this, you drove a nail from the top of the Torah down through the bottom of the Torah, that just by where the nail hit the Torah, the Pharisees would be able to tell you every single word that that nail penetrated without ever opening the Torah. So they knew they had read the Word of God. They just didn't know the Word of God. They knew the Word of God. You see, knowing the Word of God is not what sets us free. It's believing and holding true to the Word of God that sets us free. So Jesus says to him, have you not read? 
He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said to them, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one, become one flesh. I love what Jesus does here. You see, the Pharisees came to him to talk to him about the law, and what does Jesus do? Jesus goes way beyond the law. He goes to the creation of marriage itself before the law was ever given. And so Jesus is saying, have you not heard where the marriage comes from to begin with? Marriage does not come from man. Marriage comes from God. And so we see that the first thing that Jesus comes and he teaches us is this, the sanctity of marriage. Let me say this again. We've got to talk about marriage before we talk about divorce. Because if we don't believe what marriage is, then it doesn't really matter what divorce is. So what do we in this room believe marriage to be? Marriage is not this. Marriage is not a civil contract between two people. Though it is that, it isn't that. Marriage is not a ceremony when you walk down this aisle and you, you come up here and you talk to your, your spouse and then the, 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 the pastor says, hey, and the power's invested in me in the state of Tennessee, I now pronounce you man and wife. That's not even what marriage is. Those are parts of marriage, but that is not marriage. What marriage is, is the unity between two souls becoming into one flesh. As one writer says, it's the mingling of souls. That when you marry someone, your soul is tied in with the other person. And therefore, if you believe that this morning, then you're going to look at divorce a lot differently. If you really do believe that you have now come into a union, a spiritual union with your spouse, you'll look at divorce a lot different. That your two souls have now become mingled together. And divorce doesn't unmingle the hearts. Uh, I love what John Stott says about marriage. He says this, marriage is a divine, let me read that again, divine institution. Not a man institution, a divine institution between a man and a woman by which God makes permanently one these two people who decisively and publicly leave their parents in order to form a new unit in society and then become one flesh. L let me say it again. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage was God's idea, not man's idea. And how come? How come that is? How come God designed marriage? Here's what R.T. Kendall says about marriage. Marriage is God's idea. Let me read this loud and clear. This is the stance that we here at the church take on marriage. Marriage is uh, heterosexual. I'll say that word again. Heterosexual. That's a man and a woman. That is all that marriage is. I don't care what the United States calls marriage today. God's word makes marriage very clear. It's between a man and a wife. Not a man and a man. Not a, a woman and a woman. Not a woman that thinks he's a man. A woman who is a woman and a man who is a man, they become one flesh. It does not matter what the United States ever calls marriage. This is what God's word calls marriage. A monogamous, that just means you're not fooling around with other people, and permanent. It is between a man and a woman. It is permanent and exclusive. They are no longer two, but one flesh. That is what marriage is. That is what here at Powell's Chapel we believe marriage to be. 
If you have a problem with that, write me, email me. I'll love to talk to you. Set up coffee with me. I'll continue to point you back to God's word, what marriage is. Because we got to know what marriage is before we can deal with divorce. So do we this morning believe marriage is between one man and one wife that God himself has joined together, not man has joined together. That's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. And so, he does this because of throughout the rest of the Bible, we will look at how marriage is the one thing that God has given to us to show us what his relationship is like with his people. It says over and over in the God's word that God is the bride and we are the bridegroom, that the bride that the groom is coming back for the bride. And so it's the one example that God has given to us as his children to show us what our relationship is like with him, that we become one with God himself. That the holy God, the holy trinity, when we become believers, now is implanted into us. And we can never, no one ever can take that away from us. No one can ever come and rob the Holy Spirit from your hearts. Therefore, can that happen in the context of marriage? No, we become one flesh. We become one spirit. We become one soul with the one that we say before God, I've made a commitment to you, God, and then to the spouse. The next thing that we see is this. So God establishes uh, the marital relationship. Uh, The next thing that we see is this. Jesus never commands divorce. Let me read the passage. So he says, This is what marriage is. The man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God never commands divorce. Jesus, in his teaching, never commands divorce. What Jesus does here is he permits divorce. And how come he permits divorce? How come he allows divorce? And they said to him, why then does Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said, it's because of your hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. So what Jesus is saying here in this passage is, yes, God has allowed divorce to happen. But that's never the way it was meant to happen. This was never God's plan. God's plan was that there was never to be divorce. God's plan was for there always to be harmonious relationship between man and wife. And they would live together forever and ever and ever. But then at the fall, in Genesis 3, the fall, creation is broken. The creation of marriage is broken. It says that in in Genesis 2 and 3, that now the, the wife will want to rule over the husband and that the the, 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 the husband will to rule over in unhealthy ways to the wife. And so the, the very context of marriage has been broken because of sin. And because of sin, Jesus now is going to allow things to occur that were never meant to happen. But it's because of the hardness of hearts, not because it's a command from God. So grateful that God in his sovereignty and his righteousness Though when I sin, he provides other ways out of those sins, even though they're not the best. Divorce is not the best. I can't say that enough this morning. It's allowed, but it's not the best. How do I know that? We can read all of Scripture to see, yes, God allows for divorce, but if you look over and over and over and over and over again at the whole of Scripture, 
it says in Malachi 2, God hates divorce. He hates it. He allows it, but he still hates it. We have to look at the whole of Scripture. What's the whole of Scripture? We, we really need to look outside of the, the law of divorce and look at the law of love and forgiveness. Is your marriage and my marriage built on the law of love and forgiveness? You see, because that's what my relationship with a holy God is built on. That no matter what I've done, that even when I've done the most wicked things, there's a loving God that has forgiven me and accepted me back into relationship with him over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And so when we look at the whole of Scripture, we see that God's heart is for there to be reconciliation in the marriage. Now there are reasons for divorce, and Jesus teaches us that. But it's, we don't start with the reasons for divorce. We start with God always intended us to be reconciled to our partner. That no matter what the partner's done, we will do everything that we can do to be reconciled back into relationship with the partner. But then Jesus says, but there are times where the spouse does not want to be reconciled. God himself says that to us. There's times that God pursues us and pursues us and pursues us. And finally, because of our rebellious hearts, he says to us in Romans, I've let them go into their wickedness. I've let them go. And so Jesus is saying to us, there are times that the other partner does not want to be reconciled. So what do we do with that? So there are reasons for divorce. Three reasons, the three A's, as many people call them. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Jesus teaches on the first one. Paul teaches us the second one, and the third one is dicey. I'll just be honest. There's no pinpoint scripture that says, hey, if you're being physically abused, you are able to get a divorce. But I have to look at the whole of scripture to say, man, God's heart is for people that are being abused. And so for me, the third one is, comes out of personal conviction. I don't have any scripture to back it, though I can take all of scripture to back it. But we'll look at the first one, adultery. Matthew 19, 9. And I say, whoever divorces his wife except for uh, sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Jesus uses the word pornea. Pornea is the word that we get the word uh, pornography from. It's this idea of sexual immorality in the marriage. And so what Jesus is saying, if there's sexual immorality going on in the marriage, that I will open the door and allow there to be divorce if and only if that the spouse is unrepented in their sin. Now, if your spouse is in sexual immorality and there is repentance of that sin, there has to be a way back into reconciliation, into relationship with the other person. We take the whole of Scripture and say that's true because in our relationship with the Holy God, when we rebel against God, when we come to forgiveness in God, God always offers us a way back into Himself. It's through forgiveness. It's through what His Son did for us on the cross. And so we look at Scripture. When there's an unrepented man or an unrepented woman that's in pornea, sexual immorality, God says, okay, I will allow there to be divorce. But we have to remember, God's heart is not for divorce. God's heart is for reconciliation. God allows it, but it's not what's best. What's best is that we be reconciled to our spouse. The next thing that we see is uh, abandonment. We find that Paul teaches us that. Paul teaches that in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 12 through 16. And what the, the context of the verse is that there's this, a man and a woman, 
And Paul is saying if there's a married man who is a believer and there's a married woman, they are married together and the woman's an unbeliever and the woman decides to leave, let them leave. But if the woman wants to stay, let them stay. And so even in that context, Paul is saying to us, it's better to stay married even with an unbeliever than it is to divorce the unbeliever if the unbeliever is willing to stay because in the end, the holiness of God will do something in the marriage. And so, but Paul says, if they, that the unbeliever abandons you, then you're able to start over. So we see first that if there's adultery in the ma- marriage, then there's permission for divorce. If there's abandonment in the marriage, there's permission for divorce. And the last one is, is this, abuse. I take the whole of Scripture uh, to come to this conclusion. I just don't see how a holy God who calls himself Father Jenny and I had this conversation about this this week. Uh, I was like, Jenny, I'm really wrestling through this passage because I can't pinpoint in the text like I can with adultery and abuse that God would allow there to be uh, divorce with uh, physical abuse. But I told her, I said, I can't imagine what, I know what I would do, um, first and foremost, if Tennyson came home and said she'd been abused. There really wouldn't need to be a divorce. There'd be a dude six feet under. So th- there would be no need for a divorce. He'd be dead. Uh, so maybe that's what God had in mind. Like he'd just be dead anyway. But I was wrestling with Jenny with this and talking out loud to her about this. Like what would I as a dad do and what would my counsel as a dad be for Tennyson if she was in an abusive relationship? The first thing I would tell her is, hey, move out. Get space to get safety. And if the guy continues to abuse you even when there's space, then leave him. I, I believe that God's heart would say, show that all over Scripture. If God is a loving Father that He tells us that He is Abba Daddy, then I can only imagine what, what it would be like for Him to look on His children that are being abused. I, I love what R.T. Kendall says. R.T. Kendall, if you don't know who he is, he was the pastor that was in, he's, he actually lives here in Nashville, Um, But he became the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, one of the largest churches um, of the time. He he, he came under uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was an amazing godly man. Uh, I couldn't imagine filling that dude's um, pulpit every Sunday. No, thank you. Uh, But that's who this man was. He is a godly man, a wise man, uh, one of the greatest theologians of our day. He said this in his book, um, The Sermon on the Mount. He says, Jesus' compassion on people plus Paul's concession convinces me that either would grant further concession even while hating divorce and maintaining this supreme ideal of fidelity in marriage. And then he talks, uh, uh, I didn't put this in there, but he talks about what if his kid came to him and talked about. This would not have to be because of just infidelity or lust, but because my loved one who was treated like a non-person or an animal. And so what he is saying is, if the person isn't being treated like a person, I can't imagine God wanting that person to stay in the marriage. If I understand the spirit of Jesus, he would not sit idly by. I base that on the Sermon on the Mount. On the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, uh, I believe that here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't talking about the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. So I think when we take the whole of Scripture, we have to look at the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, and when it comes to abuse. That the spirit of the law would be, get out, get out, get out. 
or on the fact that Paul introduces another concession that had nothing to do with adultery at all. I think that he, Paul, introduces the issue of desertion or abandonment because it came up as an issue. And had he, Paul, been living in today's world where physical abuse and child abuse is more and more common, I would fully expect him to provide another, yet another way forward. He, Jesus, and Paul would be more accommodating to hardness uh, but brokenness. You see, the heart of Jesus is, is about brokenness. And when we look at all the Scripture, when we take this one text here in Matthew chapter 5, and we take the text about divorce, God hates divorce. Let me say that over and over again. God hates divorce. But because of our wickedness and our hardness of heart, He does allow there to be things that aren't what are best for us, but He allows them, why? To continue to show us His love for us. Even in divorce, it has to do with the picture that He cares for us. And so this morning, if you're in here and you've been through divorce, if you've uh, experienced divorce firsthand, secondhand, I don't want you to leave here thinking to yourself, oh, I'm hopeless. Oh, I'm in adultery if I'm in another marriage. No, God has made provision through His Son, Jesus, that redeems all of that. And so if you're in here and you've been divorced and you're remarried, the sovereignty of God reigns over that and has forgiven you of that as well, and He is now offering you another and a better way to live life. I want you to hear that loud and clear. God hates divorce, but He allows divorce because of the wickedness of our sins, and then His blood shed for us reconciles even our mistakes. And so for us this morning, when we look at this idea of divorce, we cannot have the world's view that divorce can happen whenever, however. That God does allow it in three very unique situations. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. But even in those three separate things, God's heart is that we would be reconciled to who He joined us with in the beginning anyway. And if there is an unwillingness to be reconciled, that God's sovereignty and reign rules over that and allows us to have second chances. Why? Because of His great love for us. And so our hope is, my hope is, God's hope is that we would take what we did in the beginning, the first marriage, if it's been ruined, that we would come to a holy God and in our neediness to Him say, God, if it's not because of you, I'll ruin this next marriage. And that would draw us to Him in total dependence to Him for the new marriage that God has allowed us to get in. And so even if you've been in a divorce and you're remarried, that remarriage is to draw you closer to the holiness of God and more of a dependence on God to say, I cannot do this. He can and He must. And we live in total dependence. That is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is. Are we living in total dependence to a holy God that redeems all things, sets all things right, takes chaos, puts order into chaos, and allows us to live a full and whole life the way he tells us in John 10.10? You see, Satan would have us read this passage and get discouraged this morning. But we must take the whole of Scripture and say, no, the sovereignty and the rule and reign of God offers us second chances, third chances, fourth chances, a thousand chances, and He forgives us no matter what we've done. And so even in divorce, it points us back to the beauty of the cross, what we're going to celebrate here in a minute. That because of His death and His resurrection, we have hope and we have life. And when we give our lives over to the holiness and the trueness of who God is, and we take Him as our Lord and as our Savior, then everything in our life changes. 
And then we begin to live that out the way Christ has called us to live that out on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is way more about your holiness and your righteousness than it is than how you live. He's not concerned of how you live. He's concerned with the heart. Even divorce is a matter of the heart. Let us pray. God, you do allow divorce, but it is not what's best. You do allow remarriage. God, I pray that we would live our lives totally in surrender to you. God, that we would give ourselves completely over to you. And this morning, God, if there's anyone of us in this room that have been divorced and been affected by divorce, God, I pray, God, that you through your Holy Spirit would speak to us and let us know that we are healed and we're set free and there's a newness of life that we have in you. And God, in that, I pray that if you have brought us into a new marriage, God, that you would allow us to be totally dependent on you. That this new marriage that you have given to us would honor and glorify you in all that we do and say. God, I know that there's many people like me in the room that have been deeply affected by divorce. And that effect runs deep and it runs wide in our lives and there's a lot of pain for us, God. But I pray for us this morning, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and you would minister to us. And you'd give us hope and you'd give us freedom. And you would set us free from our own resentment to our parents. God, we would depend on you. And we'd look to you as the greatest husband that was ever given to us. And we'd rest in that this morning, God. You are a great God. You redeem and set all things new. You take chaos and bring it to order. I'm so grateful for you. God, I pray for us this morning as we get to come and celebrate with Erica her new life. You tell us in Corinthians that the old is gone, the new has come, and this is a way for us to celebrate that with her, God, that your Holy Spirit has done a transformation in our heart. And I pray for us, God, as a body, that we would celebrate that this morning. That even before we celebrate her and all that you've done, that we would celebrate you and what you have done. You have set this young woman free. You've given her a new life. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as their personal Savior, that today would be the day that they, would, they wouldn't leave here without knowing you. They'd come uh, to me or to one of the deacons or whoever brought them and begin to explore. What does it mean to have life and have life to the full? I want this life. I want this Jesus. That even now, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to them. So continue to lead us and guide us. We give you this morning. Have your way in this place. Be glorified in this place. Praise in Christ's famous name. Amen.